T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This hour is being brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at carx.com. Ray, Steve Stone is here. Let's go. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. Loss of blood. Social media god Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes. Right now on The Score. Stoney joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Stoney, have you recovered from the churro yesterday? Well, I certainly have. It wasn't the churro that was bothering me. I think it was the 16 runs on 19 hits. I think that was... Uh, that was more making me nauseous than anything else. Yeah, and it started immediately with Dylan C. So what happened? Was it just a really good scouting report, or were there things that could have been avoided in the sequences where we saw Dylan Cease give up seven earned runs? Well, one of the things that you think about right away is when we were in Boston, this team was not hitting. This team, I'm meaning, I'm meaning the Red Sox. They just weren't swinging the bat. Story wasn't able to do much of anything. And the rest of the guys were hitting okay, but nothing consequential. Even though our ball club swept them three in a row and didn't really give them a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of runs or offense, what I said at the time is there's going to come a day in the not-too-distant future when pitchers are not going to be dancing in the streets to face this lineup. I mean, when you look at the lineup and you look at Kike Hernandez – excuse me, off the uh, off the COVID list and swinging it okay, although he's going to do a whole lot better. Uh, Devers in that lineup, J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, uh, Verdugo doing okay, but Story hitting everything in sight. Cordero coming back from the minor leagues, doing a pretty good job. So you look at that lineup and you say to yourself, you know, this is this is a pretty good offensive machine when they get going. Unfortunately, what you saw last night was a team that's red hot, led by a hitter who's literally uh, setting the world on fire in Trevor's story. And, you know, J.D. Martinez is going to hit anybody anyway, and they all just bunched together and ambushed Dylan Cease. He didn't make particularly good pitches, and they took advantage of everything. You know, hitters don't hit every mistake. 
but last night they seemed to do that. So for Dylan Cease, it was one of those nights you put it in the rearview mirror, you go on from there, and you learn from it. You learn that maybe there's certain things you could have done differently, but all in all, when a team is swinging like the Red Sox are, you make a mistake and they're going to make you pay. Cease is a guy that wins a lot inside the strike zone. He He's able to get guys out, overpower them inside of the strike zone. When you have a game like that where they're hitting your pitches inside the strike zone, how do you figure out in, in real time how to, to reapproach going against this type of a lineup? Well, I think what you have to do is try to make the quickest adjustment you possibly can. And in the first three innings, he gave up seven runs on eight hits. Uh, what was happening was his curveball wasn't near, <clears throat> excuse me, wasn't near the curveball that we've seen him throw recently. So that pitch wasn't working for him. His fastball might have been a little bit straighter, although he got a lot of swings and misses. So that wasn't the problem. It looked like they were looking for certain pitches. Now, uh, the supposition by uh, by Dylan was maybe he was tipping his pitches. They'll go through all the video of the performance and see if he was or if he wasn't. If he was tipping them, well, then it's an easy fix. You just don't do what it is that was tipping the pitch. I don't really know. I didn't get a chance to dissect it all that closely. But uh, along with Ethan Katz, they're going to look in each and every pitch and see exactly what was going on. I just realized that uh, – even the best pitchers at times don't have their great stuff, especially if those best pitchers are fairly young. Dylan is is still in the early part of what should be a tremendous career. I mean, he's still 4-2. and two. The ERA went up over 4 because of that pounding last night, but it'll come back down again. You still have to love his stuff, and uh, hopefully he figures it out sooner rather than later. But I think this is the aberration as opposed to what this season has been. I enjoyed the tutorial last night when you were going through pitch grips with, with Jason. It was a lot of fun, and I, I I think that it's great for the viewer. When did you start experimenting with which with pitch grips, and when did you feel like you had a real good idea of the science of holding and and letting go of the baseball to be a more effective pitcher? When I first came through the minor league system, uh, both uh, you know coming to professional baseball, I dominated a lot of leagues, uh, like most guys do who become professionals. Then I got to professional baseball. I still had a very big fastball. I, I was. Uh, the hardest-throwing pitcher in the San Francisco Giants organization. That was harder than Gaylord Perry and harder than Juan Marichal, harder than anybody in their minor leagues. And the fastball was probably, if they were using today's guns, it was probably around 100 miles an hour. I didn't mess around too much with grips because my natural stuff was good enough. But then, after two years of pitching in Candlestick Park and four cases of tendonitis, I lost about 10 miles an hour of that fastball. I always joke that somewhere along that line on that mound in Candlestick Park was 10 miles an hour of my fastball. I just never could find it again. So it took me a couple years to realize that I might have been throwing as hard. It just wasn't going as fast. And when I finally came to the realization that that big fastball was gone, that's when I had to start doing something or leave the league. And I didn't want to leave the league. I thought I could still get some people out. I had a pretty good curveball at the time. Then I decided to change grips and try to do things like cutting the ball. 
Uh, I could never really sink it, but I could run the ball into the right-handers by using an off-center two-seamer. And you have to make adjustments. I mean, the league tells you when you have to do something differently. And the league was telling me almost on a daily basis that, you know, I need to make some changes. And that's when you start to experiment. You experiment on your side sessions. You experiment in the bullpen with various things, and then you take them into the game. So a lot of these guys with the great natural stuff, they don't know what to do on a given day when that stuff isn't as good as you're used to. And I talk about it all the time. That's learning how to win with less than your best. Because on the days when you're enchanted, on the days when everything is working well, when you look at a spot and you throw the fastball and it's right there, you look at that same spot, the slider is right there, low and away to the right-handers, low and into the lefties. I mean, it just goes there seemingly automatically. Same thing with a curveball. You're throwing it, it's breaking sharply, and nobody is really touching it. Those are the easy days. You're going to probably pitch a low-run game. Now, whether you win or not is a product of your baseball team, but you're going to you're going to just coast through that performance. However, you might have that 20 to 25% of the time, which means 75 to 80% of the time you're going to have to learn with some percentage of less than your best. If it's 90% of your best, you're usually in pretty good shape. Sometimes it's only 50% of your best. And instead of just getting knocked out early, you have to make an adjustment. And that is the art of pitching. That's the art of becoming an accomplished major league pitcher is learning how to maximize those days when you either don't feel well for what reason or another, or you you have less than your best. With Lance Lynn, this is what his whole career has been. He's understood that he can manipulate the ball to do four different things on seemingly the same type of pitch. Yeah, I mean, he he's holding the ball off center. He's changing finger pressures. He's, he's releasing it a different way. And Basically, they're all fastballs, if you want to call them that, but they all do something different. I think he feels that he can control the ball better by throwing pretty much of the same pitch. He's also been really effective with it. You know, he's parlayed it into a very nice career and a very nice contract, and uh, the Sox would dearly love to have him back performing like he did the first three and a half, four months of last season. Now, that's all he's going to have this year, which I think bodes well for later in the season, but... uh, when they get him back, hopefully he'll be entirely healthy and can shoulder the kind of load that he likes to shoulder, which is go deep into each and every game and make sure, you know, if you're, if you're going six, you're eating up 18 outs. You're going seven, it's 21 outs. And you're leaving less outs for the bullpen to cover. Consequently, those guys have some time off. They stay fresher longer. And if you have a couple of pitchers like that, you're eventually going to have a pretty strong bullpen. We're only through a quarter of the season, and and I'm not suggesting in any way that the White Sox panic, but I am wondering, when would you feel like they would have to do a reassessment of some of their ideas on their the way that their pitching is structured? Meaning, if you're looking at a guy like Michael Kopech and you're saying, look, we've got this plan because we want Michael Kopech to be strong in September and October, which I'm all for, by the way. But now you find yourself five and a half games behind the Twins, and maybe there's a little bit more urgency in the middle of the calendar than you were expecting. Do you think that they would even consider changing some of their objectives or goals for pitchers based on where they are in the standings? Well, the easy thing to do would say put Michael Kopech in there every five days and you know he's going to be throwing well. But the reality of it is this is going to be his first year 
to be in a major league starting rotation from the start of the season to the end. And because it's his first year, you're going to have to protect him. Uh, The key is not really adjusting your pitching because I think the pitching is going to be good enough. And, you know, Michael pitched on long rest before that Yankee outing, and he showed you on long rest the stuff is a whole lot crisper. He also threw it for strikes, and he did a lot of things really well in those two performances against the Yankees. I don't think they're going to accelerate anything with Michael Kopech because they view him as a long-term solution to at least 20% of the starting rotation. So they're going to go with that sixth starter every now and then. And Michael's not going to be the guy you're going to push up. The problem really, Lawrence, and, and you know, we're going to look at why the Sox are 21 and 21. Uh, one of the things I tweeted today was that there are six teams better than them in the American League. There are eight teams worse than them. 21 and 21 is mediocre. It's neither here nor there. It's not good. It's not bad. And these are the most frustrating seasons, not the seasons you get blown out because you know you're not that good and not the seasons where you're doing real well because you know you are pretty good. But the seasons that are most frustrating are the 500 seasons or plus or minus a game or two. And the reason is that as a team, they always feel that they're better than they have. They're always waiting for that five or six or seven game winning streak. They're always waiting for that 12 or 14 streak where they win, they get back into the division race in this case, five and a half games in back of Minnesota. But it's not really the pitching at this point. What it is is very simply. you got Moncada hitting 164. You've got Abreu hitting 225, although he's starting to hit the baseball, which is something that the Sox have been waiting for. you got McGuire hitting 194 and Grandal hitting 174. you got Garcia hitting 188. So you've got five guys hitting under 200. You've got another three guys hitting just over 200. That's a whole lot of your offense not there. And when you're scoring a whole lot of runs, I mean, when, when we played the Boston Red Sox in Boston, they would make a little mistake and get buried by it because they were scoring two and three runs a game. Nobody's winning a division title scoring two or three runs a game because everything else is magnified. You make a base running mistake. You don't hit a cutoff man. You make an error on an easy play. You don't turn two and you give them another out. Those things are magnified when the score is three to two. You win that same game eight to three, and all of a sudden nobody thinks about it. And with five guys hitting under 200 and three guys hitting just over 200, they're not scoring five runs a lot or six runs or seven runs or eight runs. That's going to be the key, to score enough runs in the game so that the deficiencies that you're not going to be able to correct. This is not going to be an exceptional defensive team. It hasn't been for the last couple of years. It's not going to be moving forward. However, they're probably going to be better defensively than they've been. But the key will be score enough runs to overcome a bad pitching performance, a missed cutoff man, uh, not turning a double play. All the mistakes that a team can make when you're scoring a lot of runs, they don't show up near as much. And that will be the key for this team. If this team can turn it around offensively, they can take care of a lot of things going forward. I still like the pitching staff. And as the pitching staff gets better, as Lynn comes back, As Cueto hopefully stays healthy, and if he does, we've seen how difficult he can be to hit. This pitching staff in the starting rotation can help carry the bullpen. Then the bullpen looks better, and suddenly 
it's tough to hit these guys. It's tough to score too many runs. So when you get your five or six runs a game, it's going to be plenty. And that's going to be the key to turning this season around. It's not bad right now. It has to get better if this team is going to be taken seriously as a contender. And I think they will be able to do that. I view view Minnesota as a very good team. Uh, Right now they've decided a couple days a week they're not going to play Buxton. Buxton is in a slump right now. He can certainly hurt you catching the baseball and running the bases, but he's not hitting the ball as well as he can, and Buxton has a tendency to get hurt. If he goes down, Minnesota looks like a different team. Right now they're getting some pretty good pitching, which has been surprising. We'll see if that holds up. As you mentioned, Jose Abreu, the last seven games, it's great to see. 346, 433, 731 is his slash with two home runs and seven RBIs. What are you seeing in his at-bats over the last week? It's just a question of you know the weather getting a bit nicer, although it wasn't nice last night and he still hit a home run. But when he started to drive the ball the other way, uh, make sure that you're waiting long enough on certain pitches. Don't go out to get everything. Let the ball come to you. And I don't mean let it get deep. What I mean is just let it come to you. Don't try to go out and anticipate every breaking ball because you're not going to hit those. As he starts to hit the ball to right center field, then all of a sudden pitchers start to come in. They start to make mistakes. He starts feeling better about himself. He starts hitting mistakes very hard, and that's what he's in the process of doing. I mean, this guy has hit for a long time. He's driven in runs for a long time. I don't believe that he has gotten old in the, in the, uh, in the course of two months. I do believe that uh, he's due for a very hot streak, and let's hope the guys behind him can pick it up. I mean, the biggest factor, and, and we know this, uh, the ball club perennially has trouble with really good right-handed pitchers with good sliders or mostly or curveballs, but mostly it's good sliders. They have a hard time with that. Consequently, it shows up even more when the left-hand hitters are not hitting. Moncada just back in the lineup, when he gets it together, and hopefully he will, that's going to help. Uh, Moncada and Grandal have got to do the job against some of the tougher right-handers. Same thing with, with Gavin Sheets. I mean, he's only hitting 215. And the left-handed difference makers have got to make the difference against right-handed guys with good sliders. Because outside of Tim Anderson, who's hitting everything in sight right now, which is a wonderful thing to see, and Luis Robert, who now, you know, you get him, get him starting to go, and all of a sudden he winds up on the COVID list. But those two guys have pretty much shouldered the load from the right-hand side all season long. But it's time for the left-handers to step up and get the job done. I think Andrew Vaughn's going to be able to hit. Right now he's sitting there and, and he's hitting 287. It hasn't been as consequential as he would like. He's eventually going to drive in runs by hitting the ball in the ballpark and hitting a lot of doubles. But that being said, uh, he hasn't done a whole lot extra base hit-wise in the month of May. He's going to get better at that. And uh, that's going to be one of the guys that will consistently do the job. But again, it comes down to the left-handers. When you talk about Grandal, and you and I had a conversation last year, I remember, where you were saying, look, it's great that he's drawing walks, but they do need him to be a run producer in some of these situations. Now he's not doing either. What's going on with his at-bats from your perspective, and why are we not seeing him draw more walks and get on base? Last year, his on-base percentage was, was 352. Right now, it sits at 272. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly uh, what it is. I do know when a guy isn't hitting much, um, people are not going to walk him. 
because he's not swinging the bat well. People start to walk guys that are a threat to them. When a pitcher perceives that this guy is not a threat to you, he's not going to walk you. That's as simple as that. Uh, I think maybe he started off this year, and I'm just guessing. I don't know if that knee was 100% healthy when the year started. I don't know how it is now, but I I realize that, um, you know, looking at 174 uh, uh, and uh, an inconsequential 174, the Sox need him to be able to produce because, you know, quite frankly, telling it like it is, he's not going to help you much defensively. So when he doesn't hit the ball, that's a problem. And so far he hasn't hit it. If he starts coming alive, and bear in mind last year it took him a while, but when he did come alive, he was a killer in the middle of that lineup. And the Sox are hoping they can see that same guy again because, you know, knowing the configuration of our lineup, uh, they don't have the consequential left-hand hitters. I mean, you take a look at – Take a look at um, some of the real good teams that get the job done. I mean, Devers means so much to the Red Sox because they have a lot of right-hand hitters. They've got Martinez and Bogarts. Uh, Verdugo means something to them, although he's not hitting the ball as well as he can. Freddie Freeman in the Dodgers. Well, yeah. I mean, all all these guys, Lawrence, that, that balance out lineups – uh, even Olsen. I mean, Olsen's not hitting like he can for Atlanta, but eventually he's going to. But, yeah, look, the preponderance of starters in all of baseball, certainly in the American League Central, they're right-handed starters just about each and every team. Now, now Detroit, who's going to be a non-factor this year, they have a certain amount of left-handed starters, but most of the starters are right-handed, which means it really helps you to have consequential left-hand hitters. Sox have never had that great balance in their lineup. But the guys they do have have to produce from the left side. When Tony LaRusso was hired, I was concerned that he wouldn't be able to get with the culture of the White Sox clubhouse. And, and particularly, I was wondering on whether or not he and Tim Anderson would see eye to eye. It seems like my concern was not well placed. These two guys seem to get and understand each other. I thought it was interesting this weekend hearing Tony talk about Tim in a very paternal way, especially after the incident with Josh Donaldson? Well, I would say apparently Tim is getting along very well with Tony because what would he hit, 450 if he was, if, if he was even better? I mean, he's hitting 365. So he's hitting 365. He's one of the dominant hitters in baseball. As a leadoff hitter for the Sox, he's driving in runs. He's, uh, he's hitting home runs. And he's stealing bases and doing just about everything offensively you could ask for. So, yeah, they're they're getting along just fine, and uh, I, I don't think that's a problem whatsoever. I think I think when a team is not performing like they should, uh, if they're not hitting, the first thing is, well, let's fire the the hitting coach. If they're not pitching, well, let's fire the pitching coach. If they're not hitting or pitching, let's fire the manager. I mean, fans want to fire everybody on a daily basis. Then, of course, they want to fire the front office. And so eventually you wind up firing everybody else, and then, Lawrence, you and I wind up running the baseball team, which would be a disaster. So you can't fire everybody because players aren't performing. Somewhere along the line, you have to look at the players and say, it's time for you guys to perform. It's not that they're not trying. I hear fans on Twitter all the time, well, they look like they're going through the motions, which could be about the dumbest statement I've ever heard. These guys didn't get to the major leagues by going through the motions. You go out there every day literally trying to do the best you can. 
Now, the only problem that I have is not their desire, not their preparation, or not anything else. The only problem I have is when guys don't hustle. Now, there are certain reasons why a guy won't hustle on a given play. We don't know every day if their legs are banged up or not. But if a guy doesn't hustle over a period of time, you start to think perhaps they can play a little bit harder. And that's one of the things that I think um, I think when major league players look in the mirror, when they're not doing what they should do, I think you have to say, am I doing everything on a daily basis to make myself better? If the answer is yes, then eventually you'll get through it. If the answer is no, then you change it. And that's what they have to do. Stoney, as always, I appreciate the time and the information. I'm I'm glad that you did not consume that milkshake, even though it looked delicious. <laughs> as as someone who is also lactose intolerant, it looked great, but you can't have it. So you just can't have it. Yeah, I, I wanted to stay in the booth for the game, although it didn't work out particularly well. And if you have those, you you usually can't. So um, yeah, it was it was something interesting, but. One thing I'll leave you with, Lawrence, and this is the case with most baseball teams, the answer is coming from inside that clubhouse. The answer is coming from the players who play in a White Sox uniform. That will be the answer or the lack thereof. And nothing else on an ancillary basis is going to tell the tale this year. Thanks, Tony. Be well. Looking forward to watching you tonight. Have a good rest of the show. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.